This message was recorded at North 2012, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. It's really a joy to be here again. Uh, I think the last time we came was the last time you had good weather all weekend. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it's absolutely tremendous to be here and to see what God is doing through you. Um, In terms of, I'm going to speak on a different perspective of how God is changing the world. God's plan to change the world a different perspective. I'm going to take scriptures which we may find unusual to talk about how God wants to change the world. But I just want to say, first of all, that actually uh, in the our zeal for world mission, God is doing it much more than we are and we just need to catch up. Now, in the book of Genesis, by way of introduction, we have the roots of all God's purposes. We have what went wrong. We also have the roots of God's purposes, to put it right. And I'm going to do a Bible study in one of the characters of the book of Genesis, an unusual one. Those of you who used to go to Bible weeks hundreds of years ago will remember that often it was a Bible character that would be preached about. And uh, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to speak about Cain. Okay? (laughs) Not the most, you would think, uh, one you can get most edifying things out of. I'm doing so because out of what goes horribly wrong, God puts things right. And that's what we're going to look at. You see, Genesis is a collection of worldview stories to transform, it was written by Moses, to transform the worldview of the people who came out of Egypt. Obviously, he took stories from many centuries, dec- centuries before, but he put them together in the book of Genesis to help the worldview of a people who'd lived for 400 years in Egypt. If you'd lived for 400 years in Egypt, you were likely to have an Egyptian worldview. Okay? An Egyptian of that time worldview. Okay? So, uh, if you've... And so, the Egyptians of those days used to worship gods looking like animals. And so... The people of God, when they came out of Egypt, had an Egyptian worldview. And so when things started to go wrong and they didn't know what had happened to Moses, they made a God that looked like an animal. Because it was an Egyptian worldview that they were coming out of. And this is what we have to do is we take the gospel to transform the world. We're transforming the whole outlook on life of all sorts of people groups, including our own. And so Moses wrote this a series of worldview stories, a series of true stories. I once was talking about the fact that Genesis was worldview stories um, in my own church, and this lady came up to me. She was, came from the northeast, and because of that, I thought I need to make it clear to you. Uh, she, and so, in her Geordie accent, she said, "Don't you believe the Book of Genesis?" Then, I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, you said it's all stories." I said. Yes, but true ones. Okay, you can't have true stories. Oh, she said, when I was growing up, I was, if I told lies, my mother always said to me, stop telling stories. Okay, so, need to make it clear, it's a collection of true worldview stories. And, uh, but it's there to change our worldview. So what I'm going to do is tell the story then teach some lessons from the story, then show how the story fits God's big story, which is the whole of the Bible, and then we're going to read the story at the end. I often do that now because that enables you to check and confirm that what I've told you is true. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to tell the story first. 
If you want to follow it, you'll find it in Genesis chapter 4. Okay. So, and Jeremy referred to this story last night. Eve was expecting her first child. Now, the last thing Eve had heard God say about this was that your pain in childbirth will be greatly increased. Okay? That was the last thing she'd heard. She'd also heard some hopeful things. She'd heard God say, through the seed of the woman, I will put everything right and conquer what the serpent, Satan, has done. So those are the two things she would have heard. She had nobody else to discuss it with. You know, how much does it hurt? In any case, she didn't know how much it would have hurt if it hadn't been increased. <laughs> okay. So, we have, to, we have to try and think back into the situation. She was giving birth to her first child. These Thoughts ringing in her head, on the one hand, through my descendants, God will conquer. Also, the pain will be greatly increased. So, she trusted God to bring her through. And as she gave birth and saw her new son, she exclaimed out, Cain, which means I've got one. Okay, that's what it means. Cain's name came from the cry of Eve as she saw this, this new man brought into the world. She said, by God's help, I've got one, a man for this world. Acknowledging God, seeing her through, and now there's another man born in the world. Later, she gave birth to another son called Abel. We're not given the reason why he got called that, although it's a name that actually could have been a bit prophetic. It meant breath or temporary. It's the same root meaning as in the book of Ecclesiastes when you get vanity, vanity, Meaningless, meaningless, breath, breath. That's what it means. And later, the two grew up. Cain became a farmer of crops, like Adam. Abel became a shepherd. And both brought an offering to God. They understood something about offerings. Abel brought a firstborn sheep and Cain some of his crops. The Bible tells us that God looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but not on Cain and his. Why was that? We're actually not told. Both animal offerings and grain offerings later were declared as being acceptable to God. If you read the book of Leviticus, which I know you do frequently. And uh, so it wasn't wrong. There are lots of theories about this. The Old Testament actually doesn't tell us. We were, one of the things we do in my, the team I'm leading is we're developing what we call chronological Bible storying, which is for people who can't read or write or who learn orally, because many people who do read or write don't learn through reading and writing, they learn through hearing stories. Probably 70% of the world learn through hearing stories rather than through lists of principles and concepts. So one of the things we're developing is what we call chronological Bible storying to give a Bible. So for people who read, don't read or write at all, then 
you can't give them a Bible, you have to give them an oral Bible. That means you have to have enough stories that they can remember to get the whole of the, of the Bible message of God putting the world right. And uh, we were, I wasn't there, but one of my team was there, and they were uh, in a village and were going through and got to this story, because it's an essential story. And they asked then, after they told the story, well, what do you understand? Well, what do you think of this story? And the first person who remarked said, I don't get it. What's God got against vegetables? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> and we're not told why. But the New Testament, because we have the whole of the Bible, does explain why. It says this. Because God looks on the heart and it says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. And by contrast, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. That's before he murdered his brother. Before his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so actually, it wasn't just the question of whether it's vegetables or an animal. It was the attitude of the heart. By faith. When you give your offering tomorrow, what God looks at is your heart. By faith, you go, you give it and say, by faith, I believe, because I'm giving this, God's going to change the world. By faith. Well, God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's, and Cain got very angry. Not just angry, very angry. It's a term often used as a predecessor to murder in Scripture, God spoke to him, and God spoke to him, showing grace. He was not writing him off. He was giving him an opportunity. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you depressed looking? You can change. You can do what is right. You can repent. How if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. Now, remember, the, the, this was written much later by Moses, and the word crouching would have been in other worldviews of that time, like the Babylonian worldview, that it was like a, they believed outside every house a demon was crouching to get you. Now, we don't believe that, okay? Don't take, if, if you've been to sleep the rest of the message, that's not the whole message. All right? And they, they believed a demon was crouching outside waiting to get them. And it's that same idea, but it wasn't a demon. God was saying to Cain, sin is crouching, trying to get you, but you can master it. Still an opportunity for Cain, even though he was very angry, to put it right. And Cain and Abel then went into the field means it was deliberate, it was premeditated. They went where nobody could see. Cain attacked Abel and killed him. God came to him and said, where's your brother? First he said, why are you angry? Now when God asks questions, it's not because he doesn't know. It's because he's wanting something in our hearts. And he said, where's your brother? This famous answer, am I my brother's keeper? Totally contrary to Eastern and, more importantly, biblical understanding of responsible for protection, responsibility for protection within the family and the community. We are our brother's keepers. God said, Abel's blood cries out. The word crying out there is a very strong word. It's used elsewhere in the Old Testament of people crying out because of starvation. People crying out because of uh, oppression. 
or even the cry of a woman being raped. It's the cry for justice and for vengeance. You see, in the time, again, that Moses was writing this, in the nations around, there was what they called blood vengeance. And this principle still applies in many parts of the world where I'm working, which is if someone kills someone from your family, you, the other family, can kill someone from them. A relative can kill someone from the first person. And blood vengeance was the norm around the New Old Testament times, which is why um, Moses restricted it and said it's just an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And blood vengeance, I say, it still applies today. People's blood cries out. There's a pastor and his wife I met from a particular country. And uh, the pa- his, this pastor's uncle had killed somebody in another family. And so they had the right, the other family, to kill someone from this guy's family. And they chose him and said he would be the one they killed. And he had to obviously hide. He had to run for his life. Came over to the UK for a while. He was at the Brighton Conference. And he was, I'll come back to that story, but he was the potential victim of blood vengeance. And so Abel's blood was crying out. And God then said to Cain, you are banished right out from my presence. Now, I'd like to have two male volunteers, please, come and help me. You'll need to come back once or twice during this time. Someone near the front, please. Just a couple of male volunteers. Okay? Male volunteers. Come on. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, don't worry. All right. Okay, you're the oldest of these two, I think, just about. Okay. So, this is Adam, and this is Cain. Okay, all right. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the garden. This is important for how it fits into the rest of the story. They were banished from the garden, and an angel, or a cherub, cherubim, with swords, stop them going into the garden. So you're just outside the garden, okay? Keep out! But when it came, he wasn't just banished from the garden. He was banished right out from God's presence, right out into the land. He was made a wanderer, right out in the land of wandering, as possibly as far as you could go, okay? He was just outside the garden. He was banished to the land of Nod or the land of wandering. No peace, no home, everyone against him, threatened by people who could take revenge, by the way. There were lots of other people around by then. That's clear. Says Adam and Eve, they lived hundreds of years. They had lots and lots of children. We don't know when in this history that this took place. And... So, as Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, there were loads of people who were out to get Cain. Why? Because everybody was one of Abel's relatives. He said, wherever I go, people will kill me. Because every one of them was one of Abel's relatives. And so he was banished over to there. And... He said, God, and God, God made, for Adam, all that happened was he would now have to till the ground with a few thorns and thistles. With Cain, the, guard, the ground wouldn't hardly work anything for him at all. It was far worse. You read that. And so, and so Cain says, it's more than I can bear. And he said, 
And God gave him a mark. The Bible doesn't tell what it is. Lots of commentators come up with all sorts of suggestions, but uh, not told what it was, but he was given a mark so that no one would kill him. God was sh- still showing grace to Cain, even though he had killed his brother. And so Adam out of the garden, Cain out into the land of Nod. The land of Nod is still around. Okay, you can go and sit down, but you'll have to come and help me again soon, all right? Okay. Don't clap them yet. They're going to do some more brilliant drama later on. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) you see, most of the places I'm ministering to are in the land of Nod. One commentator said this, when the world becomes fatherless, can we have that one up? Next quote. When the world becomes fatherless, it becomes a weird and homeless place, and I'm driven into unending flight. Every tree, every milestone becomes a threat, so I try to charm away the weirdness with a talisman, with a charm that dangles in my car. When I go travel around, I get into taxis, and they've all got charms in the taxis in case something happens to them. And the way they drive, I can quite understand that. But, uh, so they have, because in the land of Nod, something might happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We're no longer under the protection of the sovereign God. And so we try to charm away the weirdness. Or I consult the stars for some dodge by which to escape being caught in my run of bad luck. Or I procure lucky numbers to increase my chances and find out the dates and the times when I must be careful because they are unlucky times. This is the law of life in the land of Nod where the security of home is gone. This is how the world lives. In the land of wandering. Where they live. Cain had a mark. They're all trying to find marks. Put this up outside my house. Put this lucky thing, this bracelet round, or a bracelet with some verses from the Quran in it. Some of which are, will protect me, some of which are to curse other people. Because we're in the land of God. Wandering. Fatherless. Like Cain. Where people are. Tragically, in Western culture, as well as the superstitions that have always been there, we now have a fatherless generation growing up in the land of Nod. We don't know what's going to happen, so we'll drink ourselves silly on a Friday night. We'll stumble out of the clubs. We don't know. We don't know what will happen. Not much security. We're in the land of Nod. Where Cain was sent. Well, that's the story. Cain killed Abel. Abel's blood cried out from the ground. Cain was banished way out. And in the land of Lod. Well, what do we learn from this? Firstly, personally, what happens for us when offence comes? I want to apply this personally. I don't want to apply it to God's great plan of salvation. What happens when offence comes? It will come. Cain was offended. In Cain's case, he was Offended by God, not because God did anything wrong, but because God had accepted Abel and not him. There are many, many people in the world who carry round offence. Tragically, there are many, many people in the church and many people in this Bible week who carry offence. God's going to set you free today. You've carried offence. You can be offended by all sorts of things. Other people 
who seem to do better than you. Why should they? Or get preferred. Or be more popular. Or more prosperous. Or, you know the sort of people, don't you? That, you know, I do bad things and awful things happen to me. These other people, they do bad things, but somehow they fall into a pile of manure and come up smelling, smelling like roses. You know, it always seems to work out all right for them. Or the people that get preferred. And you worked hard and consistently, but that person, either because they have the appropriate handshake or because they get round the boss, somehow get promoted. And you, you get offended. Even in the church. recognized like they are. We can be offended by other people who seem to be better than us. Or by just by circumstances. It's just not fair. And there are people that spend their whole lives with a gigantic chip on their shoulder. And every time you're hoping they'll make some progress, somehow they get into a situation and it's blighted by this chip on their shoulder about something that happened before and they can't break through. There's people like that here too. Or it can be those we look down upon seeming to do well. There could even be a hint of this, which we get later in the book, that the Egyptians looked down on the uh, Hebrews because they were shepherds. There can be other people uh, who we look down upon. Why, why should they get through? Or people who hurt us. Though that wasn't the case here, but we get offended by it. They hurt us. And... I've noticed sometimes that people who have rejection issues anyway, all sorts of rejection things can happen to them. It just seems to be like that. I remember once in my own office many years ago, and there was, a, there was a, someone who was in our church who had massive rejection problems. And we were, and a list of all the people who were invited to something got typed out by the secretary. And this person's name got left off by mistake, even though it was on the one that I'd written. And I went straight, no, no, it was on my list. I put it there. It was just a typo. Just. And every situation, because they're offended. Offense will come. Jesus said that. Offense is come. How will we react? Will it be with mercy or like Cain? We may not kill them, but Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Families. And communities, even churches, can be split apart and banished to the land of wandering if we don't handle offense well. However, as well as a personal application, there's also an amazing, much bigger application of this story because God has a plan to put this world right. The book of Hebrews talks about a better covenant. The old covenant, which where there's justice or an eye for an eye and so on, is compared to the new covenant which we enjoy. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says this, You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, this story reverberates right into the New Testament. And God is saying, yes, Abel's blood cried out. Abel's blood cried out vengeance. The blood of Jesus cries out and has done the 
2,000 years since. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' blood spoke forgiveness with God, reconciliation between people, healed relationships between God and man through repentance, forgiveness, and through people who bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When offense is caused, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. You see, there's a better, much better covenant, which is going to transform the world. Abel's blood didn't transform the world. Transform the world. Abel's blood caused for revenge. And people have to put marks on them. Something might get them. Jesus' blood transforms the world. I enjoyed what Jerry well, enjoyed lots of what he said last night, but when he spoke about and it, it, I I could see the hesitation in his spirit when he said it, and I do as well, that it's not just a gospel personally for me, because it sounds as if I'm undermining the gospel when I say that. And I don't like saying that because it's so fantastic that God transformed me and forgave me. But also, it's a gospel to totally transform the whole of society in its relationships, in its disputes, in its things that go back centuries, like in many of the places I'm working, this vengeance between people that go back centuries, and the blood of Jesus is the answer, and the gospel is the answer, and somehow the Christian church has to carry this again, because often the Christian church has become part of the problem rather than part of the answer, because the Christian church have either joined with their particular racial group in not liking another one, or have had disputes between themselves, which gave rise to bloodshed itself. And yet the gospel is totally transforming. You see, this pastor friend of ours in this particular country, in the end, he went back. Things seemed to have died down, came out of hiding, was preaching in his church again. Everything seemed okay. For a while, nothing happened. And one day, he was killed. And at the funeral, his wife spoke. And she said, because of the blood of Jesus, we speak better than the blood of Abel. I'm announcing now that the blood feud between our families is ended. Nobody is going to take vengeance for my husband's death. I know these couple. You know, it's not not the one we have read in a book. Because the power, this is how God puts the world right. How Christians even suffer like Christ to put the world right. Speaking forgiveness. That's why, if I do it at the personal level, holding on to my petty grievances and chips on my shoulder, and it's not fair, and someone hurt me, and no, no, I don't, I'm not going to own that person's home group. They offended me once, 18 years ago. <laughs> Happens, you know. Even in our sort of churches, where, of course, everything's perfect. Even there. <laughs> Yet this gospel is intended to transform the whole of the cultures of the world by this message. You see... Can I have my two volunteers again, please? (laughs) All right. 
Remember where you are. Yeah. Get in the land of Nod. Okay. And here's Adam just outside the garden. Well, as the life and the people of Israel proceeded, they started building temples which were based on the Garden of Eden. Now, Garden of Eden was the first temple. All subsequent temples, they had engravings of flowers and things like that, and animals. They were garden temples. That's what they intended to be. And the Jews, like Adam, were just outside. They could come into the temple so far, but every time they saw a curtain, on that curtain, if you read about the tabernacle and the temple, were engraved cherubim. Why? Because you're still kept out. Okay? Don't look happy about it. Come on! You! <laughs> That's it. You're still kept out. No one can go in. Here's this curtain. You can go thus far, no further. You can't go in. Only the high priest wants a year to be a picture of the coming Messiah. You're only just outside. But in the land of Nod, You're just way away. You're not even near. But when Jesus came, not only did his blood cry out a better word than that of Abel to transform the world, but the temple veil was torn in two. Suddenly, no longer were those who were close kept out, but greater than that. You see, if Ephesians 1 is Mount Everest, Jeremy, Ephesians 2 must be K2. It's pretty close, isn't it? All right. Remember that at that time, you Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. See, at least Israel's close. You're foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, but now, you who, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away in the land of Nod, are brought near so that as the veil in the temple, as the, cher- as the cherubim are no more to keep people out, so both together, <laughs> both together, don't just tweet this little bit of the video, okay, <laughs> don't, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't miss that, but that, that, that slipped out, <laughs> Both, <laughs> both together can come in to the presence of God. Okay, he came and preached peace. Keep over, over there again. Pre- he came and preached peace to those who were far away, peace and reconciliation, and he preached peace to those who were near. Adam, just outside the Jews. Those in the land of Nod, the Gentiles, who are right away in all those sort of things. God's plan, you see, was to bring Israel back to God, abolishing the curtain on which the cherubim were engraved, but at the same time bring every people group, however ungodly, however superstitious, however far away, however wandering, with the worst culture you could imagine, to bring them in as well and no longer hidden from your presence you see Cain was not only out of the garden he said you've hidden me from your presence I I can't nothing's working for me thanks and This 
is the basis for mission to every people group. And God's at it. God so loves the Crimean Tatars that he will visit a woman who's dying in childbirth, save her through manifesting himself in the picture of a Russian icon and bring her in. You understand? I know you don't like icons because you're Protestants, but tough. This is the way it happens. Because God is able to contextualize the gospel into every context because he wants all in the land of Nod to be brought back. We were all in the land of Nod, every people group. Here are represented different people groups. Unless you are a Jewish, you were in the land of Nod. You know, the British, they always killed each other, worshipped sun gods and covered themselves in woad. That's all they were. And, you know, I mean, no, I'm not going to say it. Okay. You know, we were nowhere. Some of us think we're the ones who are close now. I mean, Christian heritage and all that. No, we're right out there in that superstitious land where everything is feared and where every, but every people group must be both brought in from the land of Nod and reconciled to every other people group. That is the power and the cosmic power of the reconciling work of the cross of Christ. Do you understand? This is the God's picture. Cain and Abel is a fantastic story. Because Cain and Abel was, the, was division between brothers. Now, at one time I used to think that the brotherhood of man was just liberal theology. You know, I was brought up to think that because I was a good evangelical. But then I read the Bible, and, which is a good evangelical I was supposed to. And I found the way the Bible emphasizes it is that when it talks about the distribution of the nations, it says you all came from three brothers, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're brothers. And yet brothers are fighting each other. But the only, and when one dies or is subjected to terrible things or whatever, the blood cries out vengeance, which 500 years later can be done. That's what happened in the Balkans. But the gospel, so I love when I'm preaching in Albania to have a Serb brother with me. And they love it too. And when I'm in southern Russia to be with Russians and Chechens together. And even... Ukrainians and Tatars. Tatars were terribly treated. Stalin uh, took all the Tatars, hundreds of thousands of Tatars, out of Crimea in one night. The whole people group was shipped to the deserts of Kazakhstan. They're an oppressed people. But the gospel. So... I was at the worship conference, the conference down there, and this I, I taught all this stuff. I didn't know it had happened. You know, you don't know the fruit of your ministry. So I got there, and the first time the band played was in Russian, as usual. It's always in Russian. Every time I've been there, it's been in Russian. Then they got another band up, and this is a Tatar band singing Tatar music with Tatar dancers. They were fantastic. Muslim people group but they're reconciled and sharing in the worship with their oppressor and then the next band that cut up I thought well, I can't have another one was a Roma Gypsy band from our Roma Gypsy churches in Ukraine because this is the blood of Jesus this is what he's done it reaches to the land of Nod and it reconciles together with no vengeance. Whether personally, so that lady could say, no more blood vengeance in our family. Or corporately, that we have a mission to transform the world through the gospel. There's still racism in the Christian church sometimes. There's still a looking down upon. There's still subtle things. There's still...
judgments on other people. They're still stereotypes. It's awful. Because we have a call to reach all in the land of Nod. That's why I go to unreached people groups. They're particularly in the land of Nod. We're all in the land of Nod. But countries where the gospel has had some effect on the culture, perhaps not quite as far now. Although, as that fades, then they're worse in the land of Nod. But I go to unreached peoples, and I love to go to peoples that have been at war with each other. See, the Arab Spring is not doing it in itself. In Syria, it's all sorts of ancient hostilities that are coming up in different people groups and faiths. gospel does it. We have a responsibility because God through Christ is changing the world. Through Christ he's doing that so that every people group is both reached and reconciled. It's not just there's a few Christians amongst them. It's every group reached and reconciled. If you're gathering for anything today, worship God, praise Him for the gospel, rejoice in the better blood that speaks a better word, that applies to me personally. Oh, I'm so glad. So that I'm accepted and I can go in through the curtain. but must motivate me to say every people group in the land of Nod is between five and 6,000 people groups haven't got the gospel at all yet. Everyone must be reached and we bring such a gospel that tribal differences Religious differences, caste differences, clan differences, historical differences are totally obliterated through the power of the blood of Jesus. And people are still suffering for that. My pastor friend in that particular country suffered for that. His wife spoke the gospel as a result of that. My dear friend Artur in Dagestan, who personally led over a thousand Muslims to Christ, was martyred three years or so ago. And one of his co workers, who Artur didn't come to Brighton Conference that year, one of his co workers did. He received a threat on his mobile phone while he was on his way. are suffering because the power of the gospel has set them free, but they understand that the power of the gospel is to transform the world. This is God's plan to change the world. Cain and Abel were sins between brothers. Now, our responsibility is to reconcile the nations, our brothers. We're all descended from Shem, Ham and Japheth, aren't we? Eh? We're all come. You, you believe the Bible, don't you, some of you? Okay, so we're all, we're all descended from brothers. <laughs> Brotherhood of man is not a liberal concept. It's a biblical concept. It's just that it can only be brought into reality by becoming brothers with Christ. Which Jesus is not ashamed to call us because we've received him and received the power of his blood. This is a motivation for mission. This is a motivation for reconciliation and don't do one without the other you understand you reach out into different see you know some of our churches can be one class churches and yet there's people from all sorts of other classes around them that's why they don't know how to relate the gospel got to obliterate that and sometimes we have to change 
bit sorry, I just realised the time, forgive me. Parents are going out, sorry. Let's just read the scripture like I said. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? I listen, your blood, brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's stand together, shall we? I'd like us to sing in a moment that your blood speaks a better word. But first, I want to...